Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Just Work Podcast. I'm Kim Scott, the co-host and author of Just Work. And I'm Wesley Faulkner, the co-host and senior community manager and DevRel professional. And with us today, we have Kate. Kate, could you introduce yourself? Hi. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Um, So a little bit about my background. I studied art and design, painted a number of murals while living in my hometown of Cincinnati. Um, And then I shifted my focus into 19th century literature and digital humanities. Uh, Got my PhD at Carnegie Mellon in 2016 in in that humanities. And then I accepted a postdoc at Georgia Tech, where I taught multimodal and technical communication. And then in 2018, I decided to leave academia, which was a tough choice. I'd been... uh, uh, an instructor for about a decade at that point. Um, and I shifted into industry. So I uh, reskilled as a front end engineer and dabbled in QA for a while. And then I landed as a tech industry analyst a year and a half ago. And uh, that is what I'm doing today. Amazing. For all you folks out there with liberal arts degrees, not sure what to do with them, Kate is an inspiration. I studied Slavic literature. So. I'm with you on the the, uh, the the humanities. I think they're a great preparation for life. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of extensible skills that you get studying literature and uh, philosophy and things like that. And, uh, you know, I really, I saw myself as a professor for a number of years. I was really where I wanted to go with it. But the longer I spent in uh, academia and, you know, kind of dipping my toes into what a tenure track career would look like, I realized that it just wasn't for me. It, uh, it just began to taste like ashes in my mouth. I mean, I just, I, I more and more decided that that just wasn't the path that was, uh, you know, where I, where I was seeing myself. And uh, I think if there's one takeaway from my career, it's that it's okay to evolve. And that even though you might spend your twenties and thirties thinking that you're prepared to do one thing, uh, it's okay to, you know, take a step back and reevaluate your priorities. And uh, yeah, and then use those skills as a, as a sort of, um, if you're using the, the T-skills model as a way to, um, uh, you know, transition and, and think through, uh, you know, um, really great opportunities that are available for folks who uh, maybe are doing things that don't seem to align uh, with other industries. And tech is a great way to go with that. Um, because I had this background in design, front-end engineering and UX, all of those things made a lot of sense to me. Um, so I was able to transition um, pretty quickly. I was actually an intern before I became a full front-end engineer. So there's a way to, uh, uh, you know, to do that. You know, it, you know, I, I'm not sure all um, folks are okay with being called doctor intern, uh, like I, I was teased. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it worked out. It was a it was it was a good move for me, and I I, I haven't looked back. Well, they say you it. should always be learning. So, and also they also say that if with given new information, sticking with a choice that's not optimal is probably not wise. And so, as you kept learning, you decided to move into a place that seemed to make more sense to you, and I I admire that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so do I. Good for you. All right, so are you ready? I would, uh, I would love to get your all's feedback on a passage from Just Work. And, uh, yes. and my editor and I are busy sort of re-editing the book for the, for the paperback. So your edits will get put into, they will become realities. So, so far in the book, we've talked about what is radical respect. Radical respect is what happens when you optimize for collaboration and you honor everyone's individuality at the same time. What gets in the way of radical respect are bias, prejudice, and bullying. 
they get in the way. And often we conflate those three things as though they're the same thing, but they, they're different things. And so to illustrate all that, I, uh, I shared a story. So I'm going to read that story now and you all can tell me what you think. Is that cool? Yeah, yes. let's hear it. All right. And be radically candid with your feedback. Um, no pride of authorship here. All right. Mr. Safety Pin. I was just about to give a radical candor talk to the founders and executives of some of Silicon Valley's hottest startups. A couple hundred men were at the conference. I was one of only a handful of women. Just as I was about to go on stage, one of these men ran up to me. I need a safety pin, he hissed. He was clutching at his shirt front. A button had popped off. Evidently, he assumed I was on the event staff team. To prevent this very confusion, the conference organizers had given the event staff, most of whom were women a good 20 years younger than me, bright yellow t-shirts. I was wearing an orange sweater, but all he could notice was his need and my gender. I didn't know what to say. He was utterly certain that it was my job to fetch him a safety pin. I wanted to believe that his assumption about me stemmed from unconscious bias, not a federal offense. Most of us have made an incorrect assumption about another person's role based on some personal attribute. These moments are embar as embarrassing as they are common. It was a classic, sorry, I don't work here moment. There was very little risk to me in challenging his assumption. I was established in my career and he couldn't harm me in any real way. Why didn't I say anything? If I explained I need to prepare for my talk right now so I can't help you out, there was some chance he might reply along the lines of, oh, you must be the radical candor lady. I don't believe in that soft feminine leadership bullshit. Unlikely, but I've experienced that kind of prejudice more than once. If my attempt at a courteous response prompted him to reveal a conscious prejudice against women, it would piss me off and that would make it harder for me to focus on my talk. Then there was another possibility, bullying. What if I corrected him and he escalated, saying something like, hey, lady, no need to get your panties all in a wad? Again, unlikely, but not impossible. Such things have been said to me more than once. Then I'd go on stage roiling mad. That would knock me off my game. There was another confounding factor here beyond gender, power. The man assumed he had a right to be rude to the people staffing the event. Perhaps when he realized I was the speaker, not a staffer, he would snap into polite mode, but talking to anyone the way he'd talked to me was not okay. And it was my job as a leader to remind him of this, to prevent him from treating the staff badly. But I didn't feel like a leader. I felt like a target. All this felt like too much for me to deal with in the moments before I walked on stage. So I said nothing. And the man stomped off, evidently wondering why I was refusing to do my job, muttering something about complaining to the event organizers about the unhelpful staff. It was hard to know what to say because I didn't know whether it was bias, prejudice, or bullying behind the comment. Also, it was hard to know what my role was. Was I the person harmed since the comment was directed at me or the leader since I was the speaker or an upstander for the staff or all three? In retrospect, my silence was bad for everyone, bad for the staff because he was going to complain about them to their boss, bad for me because I hadn't lived in accordance with my own beliefs, and even bad for Mr. Safety Pin. By not pointing out his bias, if that's what was behind his request, I was making it more likely that he'd repeat his mistake. 
the flavor of bias, prejudice, and bullying that I have experienced as a white woman in the workplace is obviously different from what a black woman experiences. Indeed, the only black woman at the conference had been Secretary of State. All I'd had to do to earn my spot as a white woman was to be a director, a middle manager at Google and Apple. A colleague of mine who was a gay black man and another who was a white Jewish lesbian and another who was a straight Latina executive also experienced these attitudes and behaviors differently from each other and differently from either Michelle, who I talked about earlier in the book, or me. My husband, who is a straight white man, also has his own experiences with bias, prejudice, and bullying, and so on. We all have these experiences, sometimes as leaders, sometimes as upstanders, sometimes we are harmed by them, sometimes we cause harm. My goal in pointing out the shared roots of our, conf- of our difficult experiences is to build solidarity between as many different people as possible in solving these problems. All right, lay it on me. What do you all think? So I guess my first question is, what sort of feedback are you looking for here? Like, do you want to talk about the experience? Or are you interested in like how you're telling that particular story? Both. I mean, just whatever, whatever sort of jumps to your mind. It's always interesting to me what people think when I like the, the second hardest thing about writing is getting into my head. But the hardest thing about writing is getting back out and and hearing what okay. what other people how other people respond to what I've written in any way shape or form is really helpful. Okay, well, if I can go first, I guess I would say it the safety pin story resonates because it reminds me of the spinach story, which is usually the go to example when I ask people if they've read Radical mm-hmm. Candor. Um, mm-hmm. So it seems like you know, he had spinach at his teeth by losing yeah. the button uh, at this very yes. important event. And so you are not being radically candid with him, I guess, by not helping him to uh, acquire a new button or, you know, <laughs> fix yes. this wardrobe malfunction. Um, so it's kind of interesting in that way. However, um, I also suffer from stage fright, needing to spend time to prepare. So I, I, I certainly understand where you're coming from and I, uh, the, the bias that, that is, um, revealing just in terms of, you know, the assumption that you, you, you couldn't possibly be, you know, a, a, an important, uh, person on this panel as well, you know, is, is, is maddening. I mean, this is the sort of thing that was, uh, you know, that, that, um, <sighs> It makes folks, uh, you know, really distracted. I mean, this is, it's, it's really terrible that that's something that um, you're having to, uh, you know, weigh that that's the, that's the kind of thing um, that, you know, immediately comes to, to mind because you've had gone through this so many other times in your life. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess I would just say in terms of telling the story, I think it's well done. And I think it, I, what I like about it as, as far as, you know, my perspective as a writer is that you lay out um, how we're supposed to contextualize it in terms of your broader op- argument. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a successful story and I think it tell it, um, it dovetails well with the broader, uh, sort of ecosystem of stories in the way that you're approaching leadership and compassion, uh, for, you know, folks in industry, um, you know, creating, um, a healthy work environment and, you know, sharing moments where you can see some good and some bad, um, coming through that there's, there's a sort of, you know, different approaches to, to what happened and you're kind of reflecting on them and thinking like, what, what are the, the lessons that I can take away from this? It's so, thank you so much. That's really helpful. It's so interesting when you said it's like the spinach in the teeth moment. 
I was thinking it was the bias that was the spinach in the teeth, not huh. the not the popped shirt. The button. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cuz I th- I I mean, I feel like I, it may be my job to tell someone that they have spinach in their teeth. It's not necessarily my job to go and buy them a toothbrush or a toothpaste. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Uh, what sure. do you think? You think I, I owed I, it to him to help him find a safety pin, even though like there were other people whose job it was to do that. And it would like, I was literally going on stage in two minutes. Maybe I should have yeah. been more helpful. I don't know. What do you think? What do you all think? Uh, my, I, I was thinking about, uh, another author that I admire, um, Brene Brown. Um, she talks a lot about vulnerability. Um, and when she talks about vulnerability in terms of relating to other people, that there is a level of vulnerability based on your relationship with the person you're talking to and talking with, that you can't just go to a grocery store, go to a, ra- a random person and tell them all your problems. That's kind of like unsettling it's it scales with the relationship as well and this person i feel you didn't necessarily have a relationship with this person and so that there is a a a, a thought about effort and effectiveness and so you would especially if it's going to flub your talk that you're about to go on stage for the um the effort you would need to put into that and, and the repercussions they would have to deal with could be high but the effectiveness of if you did would be low and so it's a it's a value calculation on whether or not am I going to do this and will I get rewarded? And so for using that type of equation, to me, I felt you did not owe it to him because, yes, you would have been really true to your values, true to the thing that you say that you should do. But at the harm it, it would cost, I think, if you like – think of the universe, I think more harm would be created rather than more effectiveness would have been done. I, I understand regret. Like I, I yeah. hear the regret in that statement of like, I should have, should have, should have. And regret is a powerful, powerful drug that causes you to like rethink and replay and try to figure out how would you do different? And that's what it's for, right? That's what it's yeah. made for. But I think in this case, I, I see the, the magic scenario is like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I was being really rude. My apologies. Please, please let me see about what I can do to make up. That's that's probably w- wouldn't happen, right? No, and, I, I don't. Yeah, think, yeah, I don't think that would happen. I do think I do think the odds are if I had said, actually, I don't work here, but that person in the yellow T-shirt can help you find a safety pin. I right. think that he, I don't think, I, I didn't need an apology from him. What I needed mm-hmm. for him not to do was either, I, what I, if it was bias, I'm fine pointing it out. I think the risk that I was worried about is that it was either prejudice or bullying and that he would sort mm-hmm. of escalate and say, oh, you're the radical right. dinner lady or, you know, yeah. make fun of me and in you, some way in a, in a bullying way. And you could reach into your pocket and then pull out your middle finger. And then yeah, yeah. Well, I could, I could, I could. <laughs> I could do that, but then like now I'm mad. Like by the time yeah. I'm doing that, I'm. And so the thing, the thing is, like I, th- I don't think I owed it to him to say anything, but I do think I owed something to the people who worked at the event, and uh, and and so I think the I think in retrospect, and I also think I owed something to myself, and I don't, you know, I don't have like major regrets for not telling him, but I do think that over the course of my career. 
I've learned that when I always ignore comments like that, uh, then I am losing, I'm giving up a little bit of my agency. And to me, that's not worth it. I've learned that if I can say something in the moment, that it's, it's better. I mean, I, and I get to choose if I'm the, if, if, if it were only about me, I, I probably would choose not to say anything, but given the fact that I was not only the person harmed, but also kind of a leader and an upstander, I do think I had more obligation to say something to him, uh, so that those people wouldn't get dinged in their rating by, as a result of my silence. Well, I think just in terms of telling that story then, what, when I was imagining this scenario happening from your reading, I was imagining just you and him kind of in an empty setting. And it sounds like there were a lot of other people that this man could have approached. And I think maybe mentioning that as like there were, you were surrounded by people, many of them had on the t-shirts that signified that they worked there and he chose to talk to you. That to me is a more compelling yeah. framing of this because I, that is not what I envisioned at all. I didn't realize oh, that it's like good. obvious that there were other people there. Yeah. That is good. Okay, I'm, okay. I got some edits. Thank you. Good. <laughs> You're One other thing, like going back to the equation thing, there there could have been some other things that you could have done that would have changed the balance. For instance, if you either talked to him or talked to the organizers after you spoke on the stage. Um, yes. Would that also have been, because uh, it would have lowered the risk of you um, being in a, a place where it could alter your mood or your delivery of your talk. And um, but still be effective in terms of still upholding your values. Do you think that yes, would be an option? Yeah, that's what I should have done. Actually, now that you mention that, <laughs> it never occurred to me. But part of part of the way that I go through the world is that I do things right away because if if I have to add something to my to do list, it adds to my stress. But yes, yeah. I think that's a case where it would have added less stress to add it to my to-do list. Okay, Wesley, now I know what I should have done. Never thought of, it sounds ridiculous, but I never thought about t talking to him after the talk. Hmm. Or at least sending a note to the organizer saying this person was not very nice. So if you get a complaint from the staff, realize, let's put it in context yeah. that their demands were kind of outsized of what mm -hmm. should be from a speaker at, at yeah at that yeah conference. and also he thought the staff was was brushing him off but it wasn't the staff it was me so right yes cool all right so that is very helpful any other thoughts on that or should we move on to kate's story let's hear kate's story i don't have anything kate are you ready i think i'm ready um yeah so i guess I, you know, I would just frame this by saying I've been thinking a lot about skilling. Uh, it's, you know, it's something that's very uh, deep within my own biography. And I'm also working on a book project, which I'm, I'm thinking I'll call it upskilled, which I kind of like how that uh, sounds, because of course, we're always learning. And so the idea of yes. past tense upskilling, I think is kind of a, a neat way of framing it. So um, have you thought about radical skilling? Just putting that out there. <laughs> I think I might get slapped with a copyright issue there. Uh, <laughs> I do not own radical, radical reskilling. Radical reskilling. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I, it just integrates with everything that I've been doing as an analyst for sure. I, I've done a larger research project interviewing a lot of our clients and, and, you know, other folks in the tech space about certification programs and, you know, subscript, like learning subscriptions. It's just such a big part of, like PLG sales motion and the and the way that we're doing more self service in terms of um, you know getting uh, developers onboarded to these technologies. So you know the the 
importance of an education portfolio for our clients and, you know, for others in this space is just, you know, it can't be, um, you know, understated. It's, it's, it's really, um, so because I have a background in academia, it's something that's been of particular interest to me. And one of the first blog posts I wrote was actually on the idea of accreditation. And I said, you know, I come from, you know, more formal academic, um, you know, uh, setting. And, and to me, I was like, how it's like the, the foxes, um, guarding the hen house with all these, uh, certifications provided by the vendors themselves. So, you know, all that is to say that I've been thinking a lot about what it, you know, what it means to skill and what it means to put a badge on something, you know, that badging is such a big, big deal now. Uh, you know, you, you attend a, 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 um, seminar and you get a badge for that. Like this is your accomplishment. Um, so I, you know, and, and, and I, I just think all of that's just extremely interesting, but it's made me reflect on my own experience, um, both as an academic, or and uh, you know when I reskilled into uh, front end web development and um, so I guess you know the the story that I would tell there um, has to do with when I was you know this front end engineer and I was working for a digital marketing agency um, and I began um, you know as an intern which is a sort of exciting way to begin and I had interviewed at a number of predatory companies where they were looking for interns as like cheap labor. And I knew from, you know, my background in skilling for, you know, half of my life that, um, that I wanted something that was a little more, uh, formal, that I wanted to have a, a sort of structured experience where I was able to learn from folks who had been doing this for a long time and have a mentorship, um, sort of, you know, um, hierarchy where I'm, I'm working with more established, uh, developers. And so, um, so, you know, I, I, I joined this team and I'm, you know, super excited and I get, you know, I, and I progress into being a, a junior front end engineer and they don't really do the juniors at my job, but I, you know, so I'm a front end engineer and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so excited to be using my skills and I'm pairing with these wonderful developers. I'm learning a ton. I, you know, and the, I've, I've thought a lot about, um, how, you know, if you do sort of boot camps and things, you don't always get that sort of brownfield experience. Well, I got it at my job. You know, I learned a lot about version control and I learned about, you know, sort of more legacy projects and, and trying to maintain those. So I'm, you know, I'm just taking it all in. It's so different from what I'd been doing for the past decade. Um, and I'm, you know, just trying to maintain that sort of humility and that excitement, you know, trying not to be overwhelmed. Um, but, you know, I, I was doing it for a while now and I, I approached my, um, you know, my manager and I said, you know, how do I, uh, when, when am I going to, you know, be able to take on a project on my own instead of just sort of supporting uh, the other front end engineers? And, and he said, well, you know, I, I can't tell you when, but I'll, I'll know it when I see it. And so it's that sort of like occupational smell test, right? <laughs> that it's like, it wasn't very good feedback. Uh, and <laughs> And, you know, and I reflect on that now as like a turning point uh, in my career there, because instead of really progressing as a, a developer, they moved me into different sort of projects. So I ended up working a lot on like maintaining tactical plans and infrastructure, site support and escalation processes. Um, I, I started doing more QA work. Um, so I was, you know, in, I, I created test automation. Um, and then I, I, I did special projects for, um, you know, uh, uh, re revising the, the sort of retrospective process that we did at the company. We didn't quite do um, um, uh, Scrum, but we were kind of moving in that direction. So, um, you know, so I, I, I focused on a lot of the, the team aspects. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I started organizing what we call documentapaloozas. <laughs> Every quarter we were going to, you know, write documentation. And I, you know, helped to design um, what our documentation strategy would look like. And this is all like very good with my skill set. You know, I, I spent a lot of time uh, doing sort of technical communication when I was teaching at Georgia Tech. So all of this fit really well with what, you know, the skills that I had. But, you know, as I look back on it, I'm kind of sad that I wasn't able to progress more as a developer. And I, and I think this moment was really important for that. Um, and so I guess what I, you know, when I think back on my relationship with my manager, you know, it was, it was very cordial. We were, we were friends, not particularly close. Um, but I, you know, he was overworked, you know, he didn't have a lot of resources um, to spend training up folks. You know, it wasn't like that folks were compensated for um, helping interns and I wasn't the only intern there. Um, so, you know, so I'm very, I have a lot of empathy for him, but I, I'm also, um, I feel like it was, it was a, a missed opportunity, um, and suggests an opportunity for them to, to create a more, uh, what, and, well, Kim, you probably have better words for this than I, but, uh, you know, a, a way of, uh, leading that would have helped me, uh, to achieve my goals, which was, you know, to become a very, you know, a good front end engineer. I think that you're putting out something right there about your goals and how, sorry for using this word, you can correct me if you disagree, but it feels like you're pushed into a lot of glue work where yes. you're putting things together for other people who will then use that to have the, the, the title or the headline of, I did this work or I made this accomplishment. And yeah, I see a lot of people who are underestimated, who are forced into that kind of glue work where they never can yet just say, here's the copious amount of work that I've put together. Thus, I'm worthy of the next stage. And he mm -hmm. didn't hear you. He didn't develop you. And uh, and the, the, the thing that he said is the measure of when you can take on your next project was 100% subjective. I know it when I see it, rather yeah. than giving you... Um, a, 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 some challenges at the time where you're still discovering where your edges are, like what is the upper bounds yep. of your potential and you are never able to be challenged. And that limitation I see in several different types of companies. And it's kind of sad that especially you have a wealth of experience. You're not coming in green. All right, Kate. So you wish you had spoken to your manager because it sounds to me like your manager was giving you BS feedback. I'll know it when I <laughs> really tell you what to do differently. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was my first time outside of an academic uh, role. So I didn't quite have a sense of how a manager employee re you know, interactions mm -hmm. should look. I mean, we would go out to the bar, like not my manager in particular, but you know, it was, it was a very casual uh, experience. I mean, we didn't have the the ping pong tables, but we definitely had the like laid back fridge uh, with, you know, um, uh, LaCroix and uh, snacks uh, in the pantry and things like that. So it was very much a, um, uh, a chill, cool, young vibe uh, of a place to work. So I just didn't, I felt like that feedback was probably fine. And it was on me for not being a good enough engineer. And so now I'm recognizing that there probably was some opportunity for uh, for him to you know improve to help me to improve. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I so I at the time I didn't realize, but I, I yes, I should have spoken to him and 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 pushed the issue. 
It sounds and like he was taking advantage of you. Yeah. Though. Yeah. I was going to say, and he should, it was his job to give you, to give you feedback that was, that would help you grow in your career. Uh, and yeah. to be clear with you about what you needed to do to grow in your career, as opposed to just asking you to do the stuff that he needed done. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's a question of why he chose you for certain tasks. I mean, I, I'm I'm reading some bias into this story, but I don't know. How did you feel, Kate and Wesley? What are you? Is your spidey bias sense going off? It is for me because the feedback you got is. I'll know it when I see it. Not that you weren't like, not that you were doing inadequate work or you needed a lot of improvement. So it feels as if it was extremely satisfactory to the point where you kept getting more projects, but not the projects that you wanted and not the growth that you were expecting and not the nurturing that you needed. So to me, it felt as if you're pigeonholed into doing glue work. And to me, the people who do the glue work are the people who don't deserve the spotlight. And it sounds like that is what was kind of said in like his, in his own way. Yeah. I think that that that's pretty much how, how things went there. And I, I now recognize that, uh, that that's what was going on. And I, I, but I, at the time I was just happy to help. I was, uh, sort of just, you know, um, trying my best to make sure that the team was running well, because we were always so overworked. There were so many projects going on at one time and we were always trying to, you know, put out fires. So I just, I didn't want to be a burden on the team by, you know, really pushing for, for what I needed because I felt so guilty about not being, you know, a star engineer uh, <laughs> in, in my junior role. I mean, I think that that's pretty common, but, you know, but yeah, doing documentation, that's something I can step right into. If that's what we need. Okay. Here, let me, let me jump in. Um, but I would also say that the way that managers, um, you know, became managers at my, at, the, at that, um, uh, place was, was that there was, um, that they had been there the longest. So it was, it wasn't necessarily that he wanted to be a manager. It was just that they, you know, he was the last one standing. So they, uh, and I think that he was more interested in the sort of technical leadership role. Like he was interested in, in, um, you know, going to meetings with clients and making sure that we could, you know, do the work that they needed um, rather than doing the sort of people managing. Um, and that's a sense that I got. I, I, I've never heard him say that, but um, that seems to be, it, it seems to resonate with this experience that I had. Yeah, now, I think that happens. You... That happens all the time. People who don't really want to be managers get promoted into it. But if they accept the job of manager... <laughs> That it is their job. Yeah. Uh, he's getting yeah. paid for it. Whether he wanted to do it or not uh, is is another matter. Sorry, Wesley, mm-hmm. I interrupted you. Oh, no worries. I was just wondering, like, like just to piggyback on what you're saying, it's the you're there the longest, so thus you're the manager. Like, you're next to the server room, thus you're the head of IT. Um, <laughs> it's, it's also the 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 question is, what is the the reward structure? What are they incentivizing? for this manager to do. And it sounds like not grow their people. It's just to make sure things don't blow up basically. I think that that's true. Yeah. I think that that's accurate. And, and so this it's, it is this person that is part of the problem, but it sounds like it is a systematic issue as well. So yeah. don't, I, I, the, the, the system that created this and supports that is some of the things that I see replicated and duplicated at a lot of diff- these different places. Oh, and before right. I forget, I, this was nagging me. So I just wanted to make sure I say this. 
Uh, for those who are not familiar or not in the tech space, PLG stands for product-led growth. And uh, that is if a product itself is the, the mechanism where you gain more users. So if you've heard of a freemium model where people download something and then they can upgrade, that is because it's so good and they want these extra features. That was, that was what PLG and PLG Motion is for. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure that for those who are in the yes. marketing world or technical space, that's that's a part. Little explanation. There's there's another thing about your story that's interesting to me, Kate. If I can name the biases that I see, and two of them feel like they're uh, you were really getting it going and coming. So you were the you were doctor intern. So you were probably yeah. older than some of the people yes. who were there. I was, and mm-hmm. at the same time, you were newer. Like you were new, you were, right. and I think that very often people early in their careers uh, are experience some some one form of ageism, and people who are older experience a different form of ageism. And you were getting both at the same time, <laughs> oh, wow. uh, which is rough. Yeah. And I'm guessing that you were one of few women. There probably were more engineers who were men than who were women at that company. Yeah. Is that right? That that is right, but it was more balanced than other places. Uh, mm-hmm. So I that wasn't quite um, as you know as glaring, uh, you know, just in my experience with other engineering teams. But yeah, I agree. I mean, I was thirty five at the time that I was the intern, um, and I I believe, yeah, I mean, most most of my colleagues, um, just in terms of you know, just the the non managers were, I think, not even thirty yet. A lot of them were in their late twenties. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> So, if, if you could do something different, what, what would you change? What would you what would you have done differently in that situation? I think I would have pushed more on um, what you know. I, I think I would have kept bringing it up and just saying like, "Oh, it you know where where do we stand on this?" And um, you know, still do the sort of documentation work that they were asking for, and still try to help out with the projects that they needed help with, but maybe make a bigger fuss about it. Um, and I don't, but again, what I'm on the fence about is whether or not I needed to have had more structure in terms of my own reskilling before I jumped in. Um, when I talk to folks about reskilling, like, you know, moving from the humanities background into tech, I, I, you know, talk to them about the sort of pros and cons of different routes because, you know, boot camps are not cheap. Certifications are not cheap. And so, you know, do you really, after, you know, spending all this money on your, you know, first career, do you really want to like pause your life? Um, you know, if you have children, pay for childcare while you really devote yourself to learning. Or do you want to do this on nights and weekends and try to, you know, make it part of your own, um, I guess, uh, you know, integrated into your life in a more, um, a less invasive way that you can then, uh, you know, even though it maybe takes a little longer, but then you can become an intern and sort of work your way up. And so there's a sort of like steep uh, learning curve versus a little more gradual. And I chose more gradual. And so I, I question, because at that time I didn't have kids yet, could I have done a more steep? learning, um, uh, what, um, a route, you know, and, and, and maybe have been in a better position to have become a better coder. Once I got that internship, I'm not sure. Um, it's, I, I, that's where I second guess myself. And I, I still don't have an answer to that. I don't know. I don't know what the smell test was. I don't know what uh, yeah. he was looking for to this day. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that you are, you're pointing to some really important points. Like if, if you're the person who is sort of, harmed by the lack of feedback because what you were getting was lack of feedback 
Yeah. And that, that can often be a result of a manager who doesn't know how to give feedback, or it can be a result of bias. And, and it's hard to say in this situation, which it was. I'm not sure. But, yeah. but either way, I think learning how to, uh, to, to draw that feedback out of the person uh, and to say, could you be more specific? Like uh, my goal, my goal is to get promoted to this role. What do I need to do for you uh, and for the team to prove that I that that I can do that job? You know, and yeah. and I think sort of even though in an ideal world, which this world never is, uh, he would have known how his leadership would have taught him how to be a manager and taught him how to give you that feedback. But you can also take the reins and pull that out of him. Right. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I, I, so I regret not doing more of that myself. Um, so, but yeah, now I'm an analyst. So, yeah, you know, I guess so it all out. worked out. I don't it have to code it anymore. I just, yeah. <laughs> it all worked Very out. Very frequently open my, my uh, editor. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for sharing your story and I'm excited for your book. Well, I have a quick question. Why don't you call it, why do you call it skilling instead of learning or learning skills? Is there something so instead of upskilled, call it what, what was your suggestion? Just it was learning, just learning, learning, learning new skills. Yeah, um, because I think I think that th- there's this is something I ask myself all the time. Like part of what I do is I teach I teach people things. I teach people about bias, prejudice, bullying. I teach people about radical candor, and teaching is like it's really hard, uh, and learning is really hard. Agreed. And we, there's, there's, there's more art than science to it. Um, so anyway, um, I love the, I love what you're working on. I'm excited for your book and excited to, I appreciate it. to read it. Uh, so let us know how we can help as you write. Writing is a labor of love. So thank you for doing it. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it means a lot to me. And I, I certainly I feel like I'm speaking to someone who has, uh, you know, has earned, uh, you know, the right to to uh, you know, speak, speak with a lot of authority on this. So yeah, thank you for letting me tell my story. And if you ever do a podcast about the book that you just wrote, for different sections, you know, maybe if you get some inspiration, we will gladly uh, appear on your podcast to talk about it. I love it. I love it. And yeah. speaking of writing, <laughs> we would we want to hear other stories too. Your stories were great, but for those who are listening, we want to hear yours as well. And if you could send us your feedback and your stories and everything related to your thoughts about this topic or your own experiences to hello at justworktogether.com and we want to hear from you. Thanks everybody. Have a great day. All right, take care. Bye. <laughs>